Welcome back to the show. This is the continuation of our episode talking to people about living for one year under pandemic protocols, including how it changed their life in significant ways. Let's start with a voicemail we received from one of our listeners, Camilo Payet, about what his year has been like. The most difficult or challenging aspect of, of this last year was actually, you know, my mother-in-law ended up dying of non-COVID, but that was last year in May, and that was uh, really tough for the family. And then with the virus, it was very hard to get people together to get everything straightened out and give everybody a chance to, um, to you know, properly mourn or grieve. We couldn't have people. We we had like a set amount of people that we could have at the at the wake. We couldn't have anybody at the burial. It was uh, it was pretty tough. My um, I had a family member get COVID and a couple friends get COVID, but mercifully all of them got mild cases. So besides like a couple days of losing your sense of taste or smell, not too much happened. Some fatigue. So that, that turned out okay. We had a couple various COVID scares in my house, but they all turned out to be negative. My neighborhood in West Broward seemed pretty on top of things when it comes to COVID restrictions, mask wearing, and the, uh, the kind of precautions that you need to take. So that turned out pretty okay. The only special issues that I guess would happen is just, you know, the state of Florida had an interesting approach to, uh, to COVID, let's say, where things were very piecemeal and things got pretty bad in Miami, but that was, that's about an hour away from where I live. That was my mental health throughout. Thanks to the, the various privileges afforded to, to us by the, um, by the tech industry, remote work, um, being able to stay home. The mental health issue was not really strictly COVID-related. We were pretty much fine. It really sucked to not be able to to see too many friends. So we did end up feeling isolated more than a couple times. But as more information came out about how the virus spread, we were able to kind of ease up on that and hang out in backyards. Also, it helps that in South Florida, the wintertime is usually when we can go outside more because it's a little cooler. It's in the 60s or so instead of in the 90s. What else has been an important part of the year? One thing that I think I really ended up losing out on and that I'm looking forward to get out, get back to is I'm a classically trained violinist and uh, I had started getting back into musicianship in the last couple of years by finding like a local community orchestra and participating in that and I haven't been able to go because I've been worried about catching the virus as well as possibly spreading it like the members of the orchestra are all very old. <laughs> But as things wind down and the vaccines come out, I'm really looking forward to returning to that because I think playing the violin and participating in, in that orchestra was a big, um, big help to my mental health and kind of reconnecting with music and art. So I'm really looking forward to that. Speaking of music, at the end of the podcast, we'll talk to Clara Yokes, a rising artist out of Lima who, with the singer Andre Urban, had a recent hit song called Millennial, which speaks about the fact that despite a ton of fear, their millennial generations finding ways to find inspiration in each other. This is a bit of that song. Todo 
no estoy sola. Our next guest is Alexia Núñez, a software engineer at Grubhub who has thrived and struggled in the last year. Her team has been working full steam ahead, but she's also worried a lot about her parents that live across the country, about her safety on the East Coast in a big city with exploding numbers of COVID cases, and as a trans person in a highly charged political environment. We talked to her last week from her home in Boston. Thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, we're talking to people from the Tequeria community about what their life has been like over the last year. How has the pan pandemic affected yourself personally and the job that you, you do over the last year? You know, the pandemic has been a real test of my resilience. Uh, I have family in California and I'm here on the East Coast in Boston. So my immediate concern was for my elderly parents, who's going to take care of them? Uh, how safe can they keep themselves without my constantly being, you know, able to watch over them? Uh, as for me personally, around the time the pandemic happened, uh, I was living by myself. And that was a real test because I am asthmatic. You know, I'm a little bit overweight. And so I would consider myself to be Um, you know, primed for a serious case of COVID. It was just myself and my own thoughts. And so my own anxieties would get the better of me. And there are some tough times. Um, you know, once I moved in with my partner during the summer, things got exponentially easier because I had someone to lean on. And I was also, you know, seeing, seeking some mental help with a therapist. And she really helped me ground myself and understand that, I cannot control everything around me. I can't control all the people that I love and what they're doing. All I can do is do the best I can and react to whatever life throws at me. So that has helped quite a bit. In terms of my job, it has forced me to sort of re-examine my own morals. You know, uh, the, my specific job that I do um, is fantastic. I love being an iOS engineer. I work on a lot of their iOS code. And I understand that Grubhub has, you know, done a lot of business during the pandemic. And I understand that you had reservations about the company in light of some of the high profile issues, including with high surcharges and fees. So were there any conversations about all that internally? Did you come to any conclusions about how you felt about all that while it was happening and after? Well, it's a day-to-day -day struggle, to be honest. Uh, I've mostly come to terms with it. I've made my peace with it, mostly because as a Mexicana and as a transgender person, I know that it's not easy to get work and that the margin for error for myself is much slimmer than someone who is more well off. So in order to sustain myself, I learned to make peace with certain things. And on top of that, like I mentioned before, working with my immediate team members and my manager is lovely. They make working there a lot easier. Uh, that said, are there some business practices that I wish would change? Of course, but I think everyone can say that of their employer at some point. How was Boston in terms of how it was handling the pandemic? Over here in California, we uh, saw how New York kind of was dealing with it. It's a very you know, high-rise type of a city. It's extremely dense. It's been an interesting experience here. 
on one hand, a lot of people think of Massachusetts and Boston as very liberal cities and very intelligent cities. You know, you have MIT and you have Harvard here. So you think everyone has everyone's best interest in mind. Uh, that hasn't turned out to be the case. There's a lot of young people here, obviously, because of the colleges. And as a result, there's a lot of flippancy around the pandemic, thinking that it wouldn't affect them personally, or if it did, it would affect them in a very minimal way. On top of that, we have a very high elderly population here. And as the news mentioned, we got hit hard very, very early. The pandemic really ripped through a lot of assisted living uh, facilities. And on top of that, we have a Republican governor. And I think just from my perspective, what I've seen is someone who has tried to balance the economy with public health and not really prioritizing one versus the other. We've um, seen a lot of problems in places like Revere and Everett because they are multi-generational families living in the same place. And so if one person gets it, the entire family gets it. Wow. How did that affect you personally? Did, did you feel safe walking around the city? I didn't feel safe for a while. There was a period of time where I literally did not leave my apartment for maybe three months. Uh, I was having all of my groceries delivered and I made it a point that the person delivering my groceries was a minimum of six feet away before I even stepped foot outside of my door. And when I did, you know, I was wiping everything down with uh, disinfectant. I was washing my hands. You know, this was early on in the pandemic. And so nobody really knew how this, this virus spread. And so I was also leaving my groceries out when possible to avoid touching an infected service and then touching my face. So it was a really trying time and it really didn't get much better until news of vaccines started to slowly evolve. So you, you said that you were scared and there was some tension and, you know, about being away from your family. How did they fare? And, and how did you manage that, that separation, that worry? Hope that they're okay. Yes, they are good. My father is fully vaccinated. My mother has had her first vaccine. So they're doing well. Uh, it was really scary. You think of your parents as these forces in your life that you never expect to go without. And suddenly you understood very quickly how soon they could be taken away from you. It's the first time I've really had to deal with that. And especially considering that they are 2,500 miles away or however far the distance is, I constantly checked in on my parents to make sure, are you wearing a mask outside? Are you washing your hands? Are you doing all the things that you have to do? If you need groceries, for the love of God, please don't go to the grocery store. I will have groceries delivered to you. I try to do everything in my power to you know, keep them indoors and, you know, keep them as safe as I possibly could. Um, Did they listen to you? Because if you're, if you're Mexican, I know those, you know, the Mexican families, they're like, a lot of them are like, Oh, you know, I'll just go, I'll go anyway. I love my mom, but as we are prone to saying, es bien terca. Uh, she absolutely would go to the local grocery store to pick up groceries. And I would find out after the fact, and I would have a, just a flash of panic a flash of existential dread thinking, oh my goodness, is this what's going to get my mother sick? And I would sit there circling days on the calendar and checking in to make sure she wasn't feeling ill 
It was a uh, really trying and just, it would just burn through my emotional stamina, something fierce to the point where I was just left, left exhausted. And a lot of the times on the weekend, I would just sleep all day because, you know, I didn't want to deal with that. And she never got sick. She never got sick. She was very, very lucky. You mentioned that you talked to a therapist. Uh, if you can, if you want to, tell me a little bit about your mental health throughout COVID. Did you have any ups and downs? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I had a really dark period towards the beginning and things really started to flare up and take hold because I've been hospitalized for pneumonia before. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I was hospitalized for pneumonia for, I think, about, oh my, for about a month, I think, something like that. I had two surgeries in the course of two weeks. It was pretty trying. And so, you know, just hearing the news about how it affected your lungs, I had a moment where I literally felt like I was just waiting around for this virus to come find me and eventually kill me. And so, you know, I had to... What, what time of the year was that? Oh my, this is around, uh, around April, May, around there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, there was a point where I was prescribed antidepressants and, you know, I was having anxiety attacks and, you know, because anxiety attacks are, uh, you know, prone to leaving you short of breath, one might immediately assume that, oh my goodness, it finally found me, making it that much worse. Uh, you know, and you second guess yourself all the time. You wonder, oh, is this runny nose COVID? Is this, uh, you know, cough COVID? You know, you're scared of even coughing in public, even if you're wearing a mask, because people will just dart away from you thinking, oh, that person is infected. Um, so I was really faced with my own mortality in a serious way. You know, worse yet, so when I sought help with a therapist, uh, it was through telehealth. It was all done remotely through video. So while I did get the help I needed, the isolation really wasn't addressed until well after the fact, really when I moved in with my partners when that happened. But it made me re-examine my life, you know, what I had done with it thus far and what would it mean for me and my family if I wound up, you know, getting sick and dying from it. Those are some really dark thoughts for anyone to have. And uh, it's even worse when that threat feels ever present. And my therapist really helped me get a hold of myself, if you will, and just kind of set me straight and give me some weekly reminders. For example, the vast majority of people that do get it, even though they do suffer symptoms for a while, it won't, you know, it won't kill them. You know, so that helped me quite a bit. And I gave myself things to look forward to. You know, I, I found ways to sort of mitigate the stress. And how are you feeling today throughout? Uh, I'm in a better place now than I think I have been in a while because I have a support system here and I know that my family is safe. And more importantly, I know that I materially did something, however small, to help us get out of this pandemic. I feel like not only am I in myself in a good place, I'm in a place to assist others when I can. You mentioned that you're trans. How did that affect your your experience and how you felt about what was going on? You know, um, being trans and especially experiencing the pandemic layered on top of the political climate of that year was a very scary time. I didn't know if 
I was going to come to harm over a pandemic or over the fact that the few times I did step out of my house, people would see an openly trans woman and, and harass me or worse. So if nothing else, it made me really check my morals and it made me check and maybe check on the people I really care about, understand just where I am in the world, understand that for people like me, life is life really is a gift. And I try to remember that and live life to the fullest like every day. You know, I think the the real really the other thing that I want to express to people is that there's a huge stigma around seeking help for your mental health, especially among the Latino community. There's a big, big stigma about it. And I like to approach mental health in the same way I approach physical health. You know, you go for a physical every year with a doctor to make sure everything's okay. I feel like we should treat our minds and our emotions the same way. We ought to be seeing a therapist once a year just to do a check-in and see how you're doing. And I think if we did that, I think we would be in a better place. Like populations of color who have seen their struggles worsen during the pandemic, injustices against trans people have also been a big problem, especially in socially conservative states and countries. A video from the news site The Quint last year featured a trans person talking about how shopkeepers in India refused to sell hand sanitizer to one of her friends. That same video showed an Indian doctor discussing how trans patients suffering from COVID-19 were more likely to die because their inadequate gender healthcare systems didn't know where to put them in a ward. Some wards, if you don't know, are segregated by gender all over the world. According to Human Rights Watch, some countries like Panama required men and women to quarantine on alternate days to slow down the virus, which led to many problems for trans persons there. The human rights nonprofit spoke to a trans woman who went out during the days reserved for women and was refused service. And then, when she went out on the days reserved for men, she was arrested and assaulted by the police. And in Hungary, the autocratic leader Viktor Orban used emergency powers to pass anti-trans legislation. Further, discrimination and fear around public-facing authorities, including in the U.S., made many transgender people refuse to get tested for the virus, putting them in danger. And the violence most trans people fear failed to stop even as more people stayed home. The Human Rights Campaign recorded the most deaths of transgender and gender non-conforming people of any year since they began tracking it, especially on black and brown people. As a result of this rising violence, HRC President Alfonso David worked with many city leaders across the country to launch a pledge to end violence against black and brown transgender women as part of HRC's Transgender Justice Initiative. The pledge, according to the HRC, asks, quote, state and local elected leaders to acknowledge the disproportionate and record-breaking fatal violence against transgender people in America. You mentioned when we uh, talked over Slack that you were a part of the uh, the vaccine, right? That you were... Yes, uh, I was a... Tell me a about participant. That. Sure. So I believe around, I think, November or December. It was late November. It was just after Thanksgiving. And I previously tried to join a clinical trial for one of the vaccines before anyway, but I was just turned down because there were so many people trying to volunteer. And I think that was just out of a sense of 
getting early access to a vaccine. I knew as a marginalized person that um, once vaccines did become approved, it would be a challenge for me to get one. So I stepped up and I volunteered for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine trial. Um, I think it's because of my unique combination of factors um, that they called me within a few hours of filling out my form. And two days later, I was at Brigham Women's Hospital filling out forms and having my blood drawn, getting a COVID test, and eventually getting the shot. Now, at the time, I wasn't told if I was getting a placebo or if I was getting the actual vaccine. And the idea is you're supposed to check in twice a week and let them know, hey, are you feeling symptoms? Are you feeling okay? And so I did that for a few months. And I basically proceeded with the mindset that I probably got the placebo and I should still stay safe. I should still have groceries delivered. I should still limit my time outdoors to the absolute minimum, keep myself and my girlfriend safe. Um, it wasn't until, you know, I became eligible to get a vaccine here that I was unblinded. And they told me that you've been vaccinated since December. And that was maybe one of the happier moments of my life. There had been a lead up to that moment because I had asked about potential unblinding already. I was getting impatient. And I was told when it comes time, we can let you know if you got the vaccine or not. So you can make an informed decision whether you want to stay in the trial or try to seek one of the other vaccines. And excitement was already building up. And then the day came where Massachusetts said, oh, people in these age groups or people with these pre-existing conditions uh, can go get a vaccine now. They are not eligible. So I reached out to the vaccine research team and within a couple of hours, I got a call and my girlfriend was on standby. She was waiting for the moment just as much as I was. And eventually I was told and you know, it almost feels like it didn't happen. It was a very surreal moment. It didn't quite impact me until I hung up the phone and I let it absorb in my brain. And then once I did, you know, I welled up and I started crying. You know, I, I couldn't believe that this gamble really paid off because yes, I joined the trial fully knowing that there had not been any real um, complications with people having taken it. But you never know. You really are kind of taking a gamble and risking your health to this. So to know that that paid off and I would be safe and I helped in my own small way to get this vaccine approved and take one step further to our new normal was overwhelming. And whatever happens from this moment forward, whatever arguments I get into with people, whatever may happen with work, what have you, I can always go to bed feeling just a little bit happier knowing that, you know, I did something that not everyone would consider doing. We're here with Clara Yokes. She's an artist from Peru. And I actually learned about Clara through Sandra Pinto, who's a member of Tequeria.org, and she's one of the most 
active members of, of the community. You know, one of the things that we do with most of these podcasts is that at the end, we bring a, a musical artist to interpret some of the same issues that we talk about in the rest of the podcast. Some of the uh, shows are pretty serious. You know, we'll talk about the census and immigration and all of these things that are happening. But I always find it interesting that artists interpret a difficult topic or theme in an unusual way, sometimes with humor or wryness. And you seem to take subjects such as a difficult health diagnosis and you keep the melody pretty positive and happy. I wanted to know whether you actively try to create music that's so joyful and where does that come from? Well, um, first, thank you for inviting me. And actually, they're not so happy. <laughs> if you re-listen to the lyrics, maybe you'll find like ironical. I don't know if, if I'm saying it correct, but it's when you hear, for example, Boom Balloon is one of my songs about my peacemaker. I got a peacemaker. Uh, the lyrics are like, well, fuck. <laughs> what I'm gonna do, right? But the melody is so joyful that it's like a game. I think the thing that connects my music is the joyful thing, like the playful. I feel that my new music is more me than my first one because I know that a lot of artists say that and maybe it's like everyone <laughs> uh, past through that phase, but when you first introduce you to the music world, sometimes you just want to make music and you don't have like the, el objetivo to, to do your things. So I took a pause and I, I questioned myself if that was right. If that was the music I would listen to, that actually I, I don't usually listen to my music. <laughs> That's not my kind of music at all. But I think the new music that is coming, it's totally me. And the los temas, the things I want to talk about uh, with my music, it's really me. What I can say of the new music is that I love it. <laughs> and... I'm talking about something, some things that happened to me, like in the first album, but it's more raw. I don't know. It's more me. <laughs> How much of the album and the concept of it is connected to the last year? Because most of us stayed home. There's a lot of pain out there. There's isolation. There's sadness. I think it's not like, oh, I'm in pandemic song because I, I don't vibe with that but I I did some songs from the pandemic situation and personally like how it it emotion emotionally um, affects me like I have depression now so I did a, a, a song about it and how I feel I think that connects a lot with the first album because I talk about my feelings, I talk about how I process things. It's kind of therapeutical thing um, with me and the music. <laughs> I know that you released a song with Maxime. It seemed to me to be about two people that are kind of missing each other. And I, that's where I was kind of wondering whether it had any connection with what was going on. Yeah, my connection with Maxime was crazy <laughs> because I, I was just 
hanging out in the Instagram in this whole pandemic situation, doing nothing. And I found this video of this guy talking about the ocean. <laughs> and I'm really, like, I don't know, friendly or I don't know. I just wanted to say to him, a great, that's great. You know, like I like that video. I like that concept. I, I like your work. So I write to him and I say it. Hey, Maxim, I really like the lyrics and the video that you made and how you approach the concept, because sometimes people are like, oh, another ambientalist or environment song, whatever. <laughs> But it was really catchy. So we became friends and we record some cover that Mad World, it's environmental too. <laughs> So one thing led to another and we end up doing a song like in the distance and it was his song. <laughs> so he invited me to sing in that recording. But I actually, I'm not so keen on doing that. I don't, I don't like to sing lyrics of other people, songs with lyrics of other people because I don't, I don't find it true to myself I, I want to sing things that happen to me or that I can connect with but I <laughs> at first I told Maxim hey I, I'm not so into that and I don't like baladas so thank you no I don't like the drama <laughs> but that song was stuck in my head so I said okay I have to do it <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's a beautiful song Yeah, it's really beautiful. So I think some of the people that might be listening to this interview might be hearing about you for the first time, especially like in the East Coast that are listeners and the West Coast as well, because Apple featured us about a month ago. I'm sure you've answered this question a million times from your album from three years ago, but I really love the, the song Apuratai. Can you tell me about about that song and how it connects to the uh, the place and you being in it? And I think it starts with the you're talking about the gray skies and how it, it doesn't really matter. You're gonna kind of just deal with it in your own world while also appreciate it. I think that's kind of what 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 I got from it. I'd love to hear more about it from you. Thank you and congrats with the Apple uh, upgrade. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. First of all, Lima, it's the city with gray skies. <laughs> Actually, we don't have that gray skies in summer, <laughs> but people know Lima um, because of that. I wrote this song in the combi. It's the public transport here. I was thinking about, well, nothing. I was just feeling Lima. <laughs> and I was stuck in traffic and I was like, oh God, I have to go to this place, but, but it won't move. <laughs> so I have no internet. I'm going to write something. So I start writing about Lima and how I feel about that. And it's crazy, but songs tell you what, what they are about when they are finished sometimes. And I felt that with Apuratai. I started in the combi in Lima, but I, I continued writing in Angas. It's a place in the highlands here. It's kind of near Lima. I recollect all the things I could about it because in highlands, people used to say that Lima, it's a place like New York, you know, like it's all so fast and 
you don't have time for nothing. And in Highlands or, or in the rainforest here, you are relaxed. If you come from Lima, like you go, you you give a pa pause, pause, pausa, <laughs> and you can breathe a little bit if you're there in vacations, you know. So I had that breathe so I could finish Apuratai there. And actually I heard someone saying Apuratai <laughs> to one of his ch her childs. And I was like, hmm, maybe that's the way to say, hurry up. Okay, I'm gonna take it. <laughs> But fun fact, no, that's not a, a Quechua word. <laughs> maybe it's a Quechua, Quechua slash Spanish, like Quechua Spanglish, and uh, you get me. Span Quechua, Spanstra, something like that. Yeah, maybe, yeah. It's such an interesting mindset to be able to take something that's difficult, like getting a pacemaker and turning it around, imagining it in a different way. Well, I think that's part of my personality. I'm a playful person and I try to turn the negative situations into positive because I, I prefer to laugh than cry. <laughs> I think that the thing, the, the most important thing I learned about last year that encourages me to, to do more music and really enriquece, like it, how do I say enriquece? <laughs> it reaches? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that thing, <laughs> my process. Um, I think it's to find the light in you. I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but you have to, to find your own sun inside of you because nobody's gonna do it for you. <laughs> and If you can't shine, if you can't find the light, if you can't find that warm thing, then you're gonna be dead <laughs> because you're you're not you're not gonna have any emotions. And if you are kind of a bridge, because I consider myself myself kind of like a bridge because I I give someone something that I process, <laughs> and then it's like I have this situation, I process it, then it's here to you in a song then what am I gonna say to people if I'm so sad or if I'm so frustrated maybe I can do some songs about my frustration so you can relate to it but what can you do with a sad song that has no message in it it's not my kind of lyrics you know I I try to do now the music I want to hear The lyrics I wanna hear and say, hey, that's really wise, or that's really true. That that happened to me. I can relate to that. You know. Have you heard from anybody in the last year that listened to your music, and has anybody reached out? It could be a fan. It could be somebody, another musician, about how your music has helped them through the pandemic. Yeah, and it was really nice. <laughs> I think millennial. It's uh, one of my new-ish <laughs> songs uh, from last year. It was a song I made with, with one friend of mine. Um, it's about la pandemia, you know, <laughs> like staying in your home and you can't go out and you're frustrated and it's something new. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, if you're going to find someone dead that you used to know, or if you're going to be dead. <laughs> Because the things here are really awful. 
it's not just the sickness it's that the system of health here it's not good enough to hold this whole th situation there are like a 700 people dying <laughs> daily so you have to be really careful more with the brazilian sepa i don't know how to say sepa but yeah variation <laughs> so yeah it's really complicated millennial it's one song that can help people with, with that feeling it's about like the thing we wanted to do with my friend we wanted to give a hug to the people in a distance the song says in the lyrics me pueden encerrar me pueden atar pero aquí escondidas tengo alas that means they can they can put me in a cage <laughs> if you want to say it like that or they can hold my hands but inside my head i got wings so I can fly, you know, I, I can do things with the internet too, too. That's the thing that we learned. How easy or how hard is it to develop a career and become known today in 2021? When you're talking about Maxime, you reached out through Instagram and now you have a song together. I'd love to know from your perspective as an artist, what that's like today. Well, it's tricky <laughs> because it's awful here for musicians and artists, actresses, actors, people that, that go to theater, performers. It's awful because they had that principal money resource that because people were, were going to those performances and shows and they paid and you have money, you know? <laughs> like it's your, your, your principal ingreso. But well, now you have to be creative. <laughs> to earn some money. I used to give some ukulele classes or how to write some classes when it all started because I was, okay, what can I do now? I don't have money. But things are not okay here with COVID because the government, we have a political crisis. We have been in a political crisis for years, but yeah, forever. <laughs> But now it's, now it's really complicated. You know, tomorrow is going to be the elections. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So. G give me the 45 second explanation of that. We're fucked. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you have to choose the, the less. El, mar, el mal peor. People used to say here. El mal peor means that the less worst. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, what can you do? I'll make sure I pay, I'll pay attention to that tomorrow. That's that's really interesting. Well, they call it here in uh, in the United States the lesser of two evils. Yeah, that's the same, but in a Peruvian way or maybe Latin way. I don't know. Well, again, really appreciate be, uh, being on. My final question, which you probably have heard of it a million times, but maybe you can answer it here. What is the yolks part of it? I was expecting that. <laughs> Did you come up with that? Te gustan mucho, te gustan mucho comer huevos. ¿Qué es esto? <laughs> that sounds bad, you know. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah, I I found it funny, you know. Like my name is Clara, so I said, okay, I'm Clara. What? And I was with a friend some years ago before starting my career, so I told her, okay, I want to do, do something with music. Maybe, I don't know, put some covers on YouTube or whatever. I want to do music. 
And she was, okay, but you have to have a great name, <laughs> a memorable name. So, yeah, catchy, catchy one. So I was, mm, okay, I want to I wanna call myself Clara because that's my name. <laughs> I don't want to lose that identity. But Clara, what? I don't want to give my, my apellido, surname, last name. Yeah, I didn't want to give my information because, I don't know, <laughs> I didn't feel it like that, <laughs> felt it. So we were doing a cake <laughs> and she was like with the eggs doing the, the mixture. So I said, hey, Clara Yemas, that it's joke is in Spanish. So Clara Yemas, no, yeah, that sounds cool, right? And she was like, hmm. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, Clara Yemas, but in English because it sounds more mysterious because people here are not gonna know at the first instance that jokes means Yemas. And it's gonna give a, a topic of conversation, you know? <laughs> like we're having it like right now. <laughs> so my name is. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I, you have all of a lot of your uh, logos and a lot of your merchandise, you have eggs all over the place. Yes, 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 yes. I'm, I don't have a thing with eggs, but <laughs> I found it funny. It just means that for the rest of your career, you're going to be offered like omelets and things like that. I would love it. <laughs> and that's the end of the show. I want to thank our guests, including Cecilia Corral, Jeanette Corona, Alexis Nunez, Tequeria.org, community members, Camilo Payan, and Jess Tatiana Cornejo Flores. And of course... Clara Yemas Yokes for the conversation and allowing us to play her songs. Check her out on Instagram where she is sliding into other artists' DMs. The show was produced by Points of Presence Media. Neil Godbolet provides the audio and sound production from his airship laboratories in California. And I am Jose Formoso, the host and writer. Still stuck in my room after 13 months and I'm loving it? Not really. Thank you to everyone listening. If you know of other people you think would love the show, please share it with them. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all the other platforms. If you want to send us an idea for a show, a guest suggestion, or just want to say what's up, you can email us at contact at pointsofpresence.io or you can send me a message on any of those platforms I mentioned. Before I finish off the episode with a short note about my own pandemic year, I want to make an announcement that pertains to the name of the show. This episode of the podcast will be the last one branded as Tequeria. If you don't know, our company, Points of Presence Media, contracted with the Tequeria.org nonprofit for this podcast over a year ago. And my producer Neil and I have had full editorial control, as is expected for a journalistic venture while Tequeria helped us some with marketing inside and outside its toolset, like its Slack messaging board. And we're grateful for that support. While both groups worked over the last month to keep the same relationship with the organization as it was, including continuing to use the Tequeria name, the organization ultimately chose to not renew the partnership. I will continue to be a part of that community though, and I will still bring out great stories from many of its members for this podcast, only in an unofficial capacity. This change will allow us to look to a lot of other great Latinx people in the US and around the world who are making great new tech, are thoughtfully considering its implications on people from all socioeconomic backgrounds, not just the rich and famous, 
and that are making a difference in their communities. Moving forward, the show will continue in the same format and on the same podcast platforms, but with a different name. If you have subscribed to the Tickeria podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google, or anywhere else, you don't have to do anything. You'll continue to have access to it, and any old and new shows will still come up on your feed, just under a different name. I urge you to continue to listen, as we think it's just the beginning for journalism-centered stories about Latinx in tech and the related issues we all care about. If you follow the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for the Tickedia podcast, they will also change to the new name. If you have any questions about this change, you can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at Formoso and jfermoso, and my email, which is public. One final note from me. I did not talk specifically about what happened this year with COVID and my family. I probably will another time in full, but I did want to share that about a month ago, my grandmother's brother, Lorenzo, a World War II veteran, died from lung complications from the coronavirus. He was living in El Paso at the time, and it's been a really difficult time for all of us. But I can't even imagine how hard it's been for my grandma, who could not say goodbye in person. So in that spirit, if any of you out there listening have family or friends who have suffered or passed away because of this terrible virus, I send you my condolences and my sincerest hope that they reach some peace. And if you got the virus, I really hope you're feeling better. And if you or your family can get the vaccine, I urge you to take it, any of them. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.